0: My name is Josh McLean. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really wild to think about this fact that we've been meeting as a church for over two years—right at two years. right at 2 years its, it's a crazy thought uh, for me uh, to. It's really surreal. But God has been faithful even through 2020. He has been faithful, and uh, I'm 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 so incredibly thankful to Him for that. This morning, as we enter into our uh, third year as a church. I want us to start where I think it is wildly important, and that is on this topic of prayer. So before we jump back into our long extended look at the Gospel of Mark, I want us to take three weeks, and not in an exhaustive way, but I think a very helpful way, look at this issue, this idea, this invitation of prayer I'll go ahead and warn you at the onset of this. I'll put a plug in as well. Um, much of the, uh, the information that I'll convey to you and the way that it's been organized has been really lifted from a book that's been in- intensely helpful and practical in my life, and that's Spiritual disciplines. For the Christian life, if you're looking uh, to compile a, a list of books that you could be reading and, and and growing as a Christian, specifically in the area of godliness, I would recommend this book, "Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life." Uh, Christian life. It's written by uh, a wonderful man by the name of Don Whitney. He serves as a, uh, a seminary professor as well as a pastor for many years. Uh, "Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life." Uh, it's 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 been in, 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 in incredibly helpful for me. We're going to jump into this series very quickly, but as we do, I'm just going to give you a quick definition for prayer, just so we kind of know what we're talking about over the next three weeks. And prayer is simply this, it's talking to God. It's simply talking to God. Another pastor said this of prayer that when he defined it, it's intentionally conveying a message to God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It's a very simple simple definition, it's easy for us to understand, it's even easy for us to accomplish and yet at the same time statistics and also experience tell us that a large percent of professing Christians do not pray. Maybe we say there's little time for prayer, little teaching on prayer, little understanding on what it really avails. So myriad of excuses, but I'm sure that you with me, as you look over 2020, would say, I did not pray enough. This morning, this sermon, over the course of the next three weeks, this isn't about beating you over the head and telling you how you need to be a better person. Really, we want to take a look quickly at what prayer is. And over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to see a couple things about prayer. One, we're going to see that there's an expectation for us to pray. This morning, we're going to look at that. We're also going to understand that prayer is not just expected of us, but it's also learned. It's something that God expects of us, but it's also something that we have to learn how to do. And finally, in two weeks, we'll look at this idea that prayer is answered, that prayer is answered. Answered. Speaking of this idea, this topic of prayer, Jesus with his disciples in Luke chapter eleven. Don't I don't want you to turn there necessarily. I just want to reference it quickly. If you're taking notes, it wouldn't be a bad idea to to jot that reference down. Luke eleven verse one. But Jesus is praying. He's there in a certain place. The Bible says. And when he finished praying, his disciples are gathered around him, and they just kind of like maybe with their jaws on the ground. I can kind of see. They're like, "Would you teach us to pray, Jesus?" Lord, teach us to pray. What I'm asking that God would do in this series, these three weeks, quickly, would be for God to teach us to pray. And so my question for you, my invitation for you, given at the beginning of the sermon this morning is, would you simply ask God right now for him to teach you to pray? Whether you've been a Christian for two days, two weeks, 40 years, I'm sure that you would say, hey, I could use another lesson on prayer. And so with, with me this morning, would you ask God to teach us to pray? I think it'd be fitting for us to begin this series as we drop into it for us to pray together. So let's do that now. And as I pray, would you pray separately that God would teach you to pray? Father, we come to you again this morning. Asking you humbly that you would teach us about prayer. And not just teach us, but would you give us a desire to pray? Father, this morning, as we look at your word, would you show us your goodness? Could we see you a little more clearly this morning? And God, in your kindness, in your mercy, would you show us our helplessness? as it contrasts against your goodness. And then coupled together, as we look at your goodness and we see our helplessness, would you not lead us to glorify you by depending on you more and more and more throughout this year? Father, teach us to pray. We need you now. And it's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen. Speaking of prayer, Paul talked about it with this idea of a command. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 4, if you flip there quickly, Colossians chapter 4, verse number 2, Paul speaking says, continue steadfastly in prayer. This is a command. He's saying, you, Christian, continue steadfastly in prayer. This is a command. He goes on to say, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, Paul is saying, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So it's very clear for us as we read this passage that Paul is saying it is not a question of if you will pray. It's a question of, as, of if you will obey Continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul speaks of it as a command. Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, if you want to write these references down, I think it'd be helpful. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen and 17. He goes on to say in verse 16, Rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Again, it's a command. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Who are you giving thanks to? We're giving thanks to God, chief among those whom we thank. We do that through prayer, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So that's just two I, two passages that I've cherry-picked from the New Testament, where Paul speaks of the Christian's responsibility to owe, and, 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 and command to pray. If we look at just those two passages, it might be a little bit condemning for us especially as you consider this last year, maybe even this last week. Maybe you say, well, I've not done that. I've not prayed without ceasing. I've not continued steadfastly in prayer. To you, first and foremost, I would offer to you grace. That's not from me, but it's from God. It is a command that we obey. but More than that, it's an invitation. Also, When we think about continuing steadfastly in prayer and praying without ceasing, I don't want any of us, especially the younger ones, to think that that is something to to mean that mom should be driving her minivan as she goes and gets groceries with her eyes closed, with her head bowed, right, her hands clasped. No, this is not what the Bible is teaching us. This isn't what we would be commanded to do. But to be in a spirit, in an attitude of prayer, regularly relying and depending on God, this is what we've been commanded to do. Paul spoke of it many times. But Paul wasn't the only one to speak of prayer. Jesus also spoke of prayer. And I want to look at a passage this morning. We'll use it this week. We'll also use it next week. And that's found in Matthew chapter 6. We'll read a few verses. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read from verses 1 through 8. We'll pick up there next week as we talk about this idea that prayer is not just expected, but it's also learned. So Matthew chapter six, verses one through eight. If you're with me, follow along. It should be on the screen. This is what the word of God says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I Let your ears really perk up now. Verse five, and when you pray, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus expected that his disciples would pray. Did you catch that? I remember memorizing this passage earlier this past year, not this year, last year. And that struck me. Jesus says, and when you pray. He doesn't just say that once, but in these short verses, he says that, three times in verse five he says and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites in verse six but when you pray go into your room and shut the door in verse seven and when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the gentiles do and so we see that jesus expected us to pray now that's in line with paul's command by god for us to pray, but it's different. It's a different angle. One says that we should do it. You must do this. The other says, I know that you will do this. Now, I recognize that the main idea of this passage has more to do with a hypocritical religiosity that accompanies giving and praying and fasting In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus spent some time teaching on practical behavior, right? Just everyday living. But here in chapter 6, he turns to religious duties. We recognize many religions as well. Both Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and many others recognize that giving and charity is a wonderful thing. It's a religious act. Praying and even fasting are wonderful things us to do. But Jesus turns his attention to those very acts and gives them some explanation on them. You see, giving to the needy, praying, fasting, they're all appointed by God. These are acts that we should be doing as human beings. Even in the Old Testament, we see that this is an important religious exercise, all three of them. And so it's nothing new to Jesus' day that he's saying, hey, when you pray or you should be praying, I expect you to pray. But he's trying to clarify some things. He's trying to turn their attention from this hypocritical act that they're doing to something that would be more pleasing to God, you see, they had missed the point altogether, as they had been serving themselves through the prayer. They had been serving themselves through charity, and they had been serving their, themselves even through fasting, if that can be if that can be done. It's amazing how, as human beings, we can turn any good thing that God has given to us and turn it into an idol. And thereby it glorify ourselves and not and instead of God. So what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, he's speaking to his initial audience and he's warning them that flaunting these religious duties in order to be praised by their peers is evil and wrong. And it was directed toward themselves. The, the idea was this, if, if people see me give, if they know how much I give, if they see me pray and they hear the eloquence in my prayer, if they see the the pain in my face as I fast and deny myself, then I will be thought more highly of by those around me. And Jesus is reminding them, but what really matters is that God sees you. What really matters is that what God is doing in your life In the Old Testament, God required these acts, specifically prayer. But he always insisted that the offerings of charity, the offerings of prayer, and even of fasting would be offerings from the heart. And time and again, the Old Testament prophets would condemn God's people because their acts of service, their acts of worship would really be about their own benefit and not God's. And so the Lord Jesus is bringing his disciples back to the true meaning of these Old Testament practices. He's pushing them away from this hypocritical ideology and more towards one that glorifies God. These religious acts, this, these good acts had become meaningless for some and hypocritical for many. But Jesus is not condemning prayer He's not condemning giving. He's not condemning fasting. And we've got we to recognize that. As he speaks to his disciples, he, 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 and I would argue for the church as well, he's renewing the command. He's renewing the instruction for us to do these things. And he's assuming that we will want to do them. He's not giving a pass on these activities for the new covenant believers, no, the Lord himself, he expected that his disciples, his followers, his church, Hagerstown Church, would be a praying people. He expects you to pray. He expects that of you. And not in a sense that I expected. I set the bar, Jesus is setting the bar. He's raising it up and saying, this is what you will do. Yes, in and, and one way, that's it. But more, he's saying, I expect I believe that this will happen, that my people called by my name, that they will call unto me and I will answer them. So God expects us. Jesus expects us to pray. And so you begin to see a little bit of a disconnect that Jesus, God in the flesh, looked down the corridors of time, saw Hagerstown Church and said, I expect that they pray. I'm fully confident that they will be a praying people. And you know in your own life that there is room likely for you to improve in your prayer life. And so where's the disconnect? Why do you not pray? Why does your pastor not pray as Jesus expected him to pray? Where's the disconnect? It's totally understandable that babies cry when they're born, isn't it? You recognize that? Well, that's, that's totally normal, right? Right? Now, when they get a little bit older, 30s and 40s, and they're crying because they didn't get exactly what they wanted, exactly when they needed it or thought they needed it, it's a little bit different. But when a baby is a baby, we we expect that they cry. When Riley was born, the doctor warned us that as he emerged from the womb that he may not cry. You see, he was early. We fully expected, having never had a child before, but we fully expected that when Riley would emerge that he would begin to cry. But the doctor said, hey, I just want you to be prepared the worst case scenario. Riley is early, there's some complications, he may not cry and so don't don't panic too much. We've got things under control and we're expecting that as a possibility. Of course, Riley was not aware of what was coming and we were. We knew that his little life, and it is life, that's seven months, we knew that his life would be changed forever and it would be a radical shift. He'd never cried before perhaps never even known the need to cry, but we expected him to cry. We knew that he had needs, that he would be uncomfortable. One of the most beautiful sounds that I have ever heard to this day is the crying of a little two pound, nine ounce Riley as he came out. It was was phenomenal. And we, we loved that. We knew that. It was totally normal. We expected him to cry and he did. He was calling out to his mom, didn't even know what he was saying, didn't even know what he was doing, but he was calling out. And we we were there to receive him. We were there to answer his requests. Maybe you can relate. Perhaps you've not had a child yourself, but you've been a baby. And you can understand, it's not too difficult for you to see, that it is an expectation that a baby would cry out in order to be nursed, or to be swaddled, or to be cuddled, to be changed In a similar way it's an expectation that children ask grandparents for treats or for extra extravagant gifts for Christmas why would they not why would they not make that request why would a baby not cry out Jesus wants to know why would you not cry out to him he expects of you that you have this great need and you have this great God And he expects that knowing those two things that we will depend and that we will cry out to him. And when we don't, something is missing. And so I don't believe that Jesus' expectation in that, that he is missing something. I think it's more that we are missing something. And so when you think about this idea that Jesus expected us to pray, he expects us to call out and why we don't, I think we should chase that down this morning. Here's the main idea that I want to submit to you this morning. An accurate understanding of the goodness of God and the helplessness of man, it invites a worshipful posture of prayer. It could be said another way. When, when we really clearly understand how good God is and we couple that with how helpless we are it just naturally induces a dependence on God and a calling out to him. And I think that's why Jesus expected us to pray. He expected that we would have an accurate understanding of how good God is, that we would have an accurate understanding given to us from experience, but even greater than that, through the word of God clearly, that man is helpless and that those two thoughts in our minds as Christians would cause us, To fall on our knees and depend on God in prayer without ceasing, steadfastly. And So while it's a command to pray, Jesus expected us to pray. Why did he expect us to pray? Number one, he expected us to pray because God is good. He expected us to pray because God is good. From the beginning of the the very first page of of scripture, we see that God is good. Everything that God does, everything that God is, everything that God creates is good. Psalm chapter 25 verse 8 says this, good and upright is the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. What the psalmist is saying with that word good is that he is the kind of guy that you would want to be around. He's good. Not good in the sense that he doesn't need anything like, nah man, I'm good. I don't need anything. That's not what it's saying. The idea of this good is that he's pleasant to be around. He's likable. He is beneficial for you. He is good. But he's also upright. So you couple this idea that he is good, you couple that with that he is upright. This speaks more to his moral character. Both of these words, they're very similar. But this upright speaks to that his moral character. He, he does what is morally, ethically right all the time. Like, like, like to the point where you don't have to be afraid that he's going to attack you in anger or, or steal something from you when you're not looking. He is good and he's upright. And again, from the beginning of scripture to the very end, we see that anthem on repeat. That God is good and that God does good. That relationship with him is desirable. It's beneficial for you. And James really expounds that idea very clearly in the New Testament. In James chapter one, verses 16 and 17, this is what the word of God says. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above is from above and it comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Jesus expected us to pray because he expected us to believe what scripture teaches about God, that he is good, he does good, he is upright and he is the one that gives good gifts. He gives perfect gifts. In fact, every good gift, every perfect gift that you've ever received has come through and from the Father. And so I would ask you this this morning. Do you believe that? As church, we can be real this morning. Do you really believe that? Down in the depths of your heart that God is good? Have you ever wrestled with that? Have you ever struggled to believe that? Do you believe that God wants to bless you? And I'm not talking about millions of dollars and Maseratis for everyone. I'm not talking about your best life now. I'm talking about, do you believe that God wants to bless you with freedom from sin? Do you believe that God wants to bless you with restored relationships, with wisdom in the moment, with grace in the trial, with faith in the face of doubt? Do you believe that? that God wants to give you these good gifts? Do you honestly believe that, church? In the depths of your heart, even when you face pain, when you face struggles, when you face loss, when you're confused, do you believe in those moments that God is good, that God does good, and that he wants to bless you with what you need? And even more than that, he wants to bless you with a relationship with himself. These good gifts, they come from God and they are promised. Listen, church, they are promised to those who ask. They're promised to those who ask. And Jesus, knowing this, knowing that you know this, he expects you to then pray. And so this morning, when we think about what's undergirding Jesus's expectation that we pray, His confidence that we as a people will pray is that God is good. And so, if you desire in 2021 to be a person, to be part of a church that prays, we need to start there with believing, with trusting that God is good. Because He is good, He gives good gifts. But not only does God's goodness under good Jesus' expectation for us to be a praying folk, but this truth does as well, that man is helpless. In some such situations, it might be difficult for us to believe that God is good, but I think that man is helpless is far more difficult for us to believe. The Bible teaches that man is unable to do for himself what is needed. The analogy or allusion to the the crying baby, it's more fitting than we really know. Just as a baby is unable to do anything for itself, provide for any of its needs, so are we. What we need most, we are utterly helpless in doing on our own. Speaking to that very clearly, Jesus says in John chapter 15, Verse number four, he's speaking of his relationship or Christian's relationship with himself. He says this, abide in me. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, by extension, speaking to us, abide in me, dwell in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is a, can we agree that Jesus is a wonderful teacher? Okay, so he uses a, a pretty fitting analogy right of course it's I'm saying I'm telling I'm assessing Jesus's words here and saying it was fitting well that's okay that's an understatement that's the understatement of the year right we're only on day three but Jesus says abide in me and he says how can a branch produce fruit if it's been severed from the trunk and Jesus is speaking of the disciples saying, hey, hey disciples you are branches And I know that if you're a good branch, you want to produce fruit. How many here want to produce fruit? If you're a Christian this morning, you are a branch and you have this desire to produce fruit. And Jesus says, how can you, if you are a branch, produce fruit? If you've been severed from the trunk, if you've been severed from the vine, how can you do it? It's a wonderful picture for us because it's so clear. We can't. You cannot receive nutrition, direction, stabilization, elevation, none of those things apart from the trunk and your connection to it. If you're not connected as a branch to the vine, there's nothing. There's no hope. There's no life. When the branch is cut from the vine, everything stops. And so often Jesus' disciples neglect prayer. Why? Because we forget that truth. We forget that we are helpless on our own. We forget that we need him not just for salvation, but for everything, in every way. Some of you say, I'm not so sure that I believe that. Maybe you struggle with that this morning. Imagine a child visiting his cousin one day in the summertime. Maybe the moms are inside talking, hanging out. and The kids are out just kind of kicking things around, trying to find something to get into. There they find themselves in the garage, and they determine that they're going to spend the next little bit riding bikes. The cousin asks, think you can ride this one, and points to his sister's bike. The child assumes that a bike is a bike and answers, of course. It's not long before that child riding this new bike comes to a realization, painful realization, that something is missing on this bike the training wheels. He finds this out after both knees are bloodied up. You may think that you need no assistance. You may think that you know how to ride a bike and you go to your friend's house and you ride that bike and you find out that you don't know how to ride a bike. You're not able to ride a bike not apart from training wheels. You think you've mastered the art of the bicycle and yet unknowingly you depend on that additional apparatus that keeps your skin from being devoured by the pavement. You need that, and you didn't even realize it, right? We th- we want to think of ourselves as more independent than we actually are. I don't need to depend on God. I, I don't need everything. I, I I've got most of these things figured out. I need help with. I need a little bit of help with, stuff, with a few things. And uh, and so maybe on the you know the big big days I'll ask God for help. I'll in the big times when it's really a struggle I'll pray to God. But you know on the regular on the day to day I've got this. You're as foolish as a a child thinking they can ride any bike because they've mastered the art of riding with training wheels. And yet we need God more than we know. In the 90s, I I think that this poem was overemphasized, but I think it's helpful for us to dig out and and reuse this morning. I'm gonna read this poem to you. It, it, It tells a story, and so follow along. One night... I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and the other to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He, speaking of his Lord Jesus, whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings, When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And I don't want you to get your theology from this poem, but I think it makes a helpful point for us. It's a humbling thought that Jesus carries us through the trials, that Jesus carries us through temptations, that Jesus carries us through pain and through victory, even. And he carries us in everything. And apart from him, We can do nothing. I'm not sure who here needs that reminder aside from me, but I know that I do, that I need Jesus. There is nothing that I can do apart from him. When people fear that they are in a dream, what do they do? Well, they pinch themselves. They inflict some measure of pain on themselves. Why? Because it proves that they're actually not dreaming Is it possible that the pain that you faced in 2020, the pain that you will face in 2021 is the nudging of God's Holy Spirit waking you up? Because as you go through this life, perhaps you've become enchanted in this dream that you have everything under control. And now the struggles that you face, the temptation, the trials, the pain, and maybe even the victory, I've come along your way to prove to you that you need God and that apart from him, you can do nothing. Maybe your sin consistently resurrected in 2020 to show you that you need transparency in community. You need God to demonstrate himself to the community. I loved how Chris said a moment ago that the local church... Hagerstown, Hagerstown Church for you is not God's plan B or one of many. It is God's plan for your life, that you be connected, that you be transparent and in community, committed to the body of Christ here in Hagerstown. Maybe your pain, the struggles, the difficulties that you faced, maybe even the loss, God somehow used those things to demonstrate and to call you back to the place That you need to depend on him because apart from him, you can do nothing. Perhaps in your heart of hearts, you're saying this morning, you may not verbalize this, but you're thinking nonsense. I do things all the time. Well, then ask yourself these two questions. Number one, was it really accomplished by yourself? Was it really accomplished by yourself? I remember talking to a gentleman one time he said, Josh, why should I thank God for the food that I eat if it's grown in my garden? Well, many of you, right off the bat, see the error of his thinking. Where'd you get the seeds? Where'd you get the dirt? Where'd you get the, the sunshine? Where'd you get the water for that? Where'd you get the oxygen that you needed to, to pump through your, uh, through your, your lungs into your, your veins so that you could actually operate that? Where'd you get the down payment of food that your body earned or burned, I should say, in order to, to do the work that you're claiming you did? See, was it really accomplished by yourself? It's like riding a bike on training wheels thinking that you can ride a bicycle. You're not riding a bicycle, you're riding, you're riding a quad, right? Quad cycle. Is that a thing? And so was it really accomplished by yourself? Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And you say, well, no, there's been lots of things that I've done apart from Christ. Well, the second question applies to you then. Was it really worth accomplishing? Is it really something that should be put on the, 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 the shelf of accomplishments? If you're able to accomplish something apart from the work of Christ in your life, working in and through you, is it really an accomplishment or is it a failure altogether? And so ask yourself, when you think of John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Was it really accomplished by yourself and was it really worth accomplishing anyway? Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Hagerstown Church, we can do nothing. We are helpless in and of ourselves. Jesus prayed for, in, in the Gospels, he, 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 it's recorded for us, not just so we would have an example, although that's one aspect of it. Next week we'll see an, an, an example, a beautiful example of how to pray from Christ himself. He didn't just do it out of obedience. God, the Son, in flesh in humanity he needed the father and so he depended on him in prayer and if he needed to depend on the father how much more than we apart from christ we can do nothing do you see your helplessness this morning you see the burden on the back of a christian pilgrim is not prayer If you enter into 2021 thinking that, I've got to do all these things. We've got to do this Bible reading program. I've got to memorize some scripture. I've got to meet on a weekly basis with these folks and be held accountable. I've got to meet with my life group and do all these things. And on top of all of that, now you want me to pray? And you're going to beat me over the head with these New Testament passages that are in the command? You know, in 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 an imperative tense? see, prayer is not a burden, though. It's not something that we add to the list. It is how we accomplish our list. You see, prayer is the key to victory. It's the door to the throne of God. It's the light on the path. It's, the, it's not wearisome. It's the pathway to peace. Yeah. I love what Martin Luther said about prayer. He says, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes or cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. It's what we do. It's how we do what we do. And if that statement's true, then can we not deduce from that that maybe the reason why we didn't, maybe the reason why you didn't accomplish all the things that you had hoped that you would accomplish is because you did not depend on God. You didn't see his goodness and meditate on that. And you didn't moan over the fact that you are helpless you didn't depend on God in prayer. We of all people in the world should be acutely aware of, aware of God's goodness and our own helplessness, and therefore indeed it is our business as Christ's followers to pray." Whitney made this wise statement: "If we felt certain of visible results within 60 seconds of prayer, there would be holes in the knees of every pair of pants owned by Christians. If you really believed. That God was good and that you were helpless and that God, because of those two truths, when we pray would answer what we pray for and that's what we've been told in scripture. If we really believe that, would would any one of us have a pair of pants that didn't have holes in the knees? So this excuse that we have little time too many responsibilities, too many kids, too much work, too little desire, too little experience, or, or whatever it is that we would employ as some excuse is really, finally, nonsense. In every season, in every area of our lives, for every day, Christians are to be devoted to prayer and we are to pray without ceasing. Why? Because we need him and he is good. So do you see now what Jesus saw? It's the logical next step that he expect his people to see his goodness, to see our helplessness and to ask and to depend and to believe and to pray. And when you see your helplessness and when you see God's goodness, doesn't it make you want to cry out to God in prayer right now? God, help! I love Psalm 50. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn to Psalm 50. I'll just read a couple of verses from this passage. This is a, a wonderful psalm for us to be meditating on, especially in this day and age. Look at verse 12 in Psalm 50. It says this, if I were hungry, God speaking, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. God is saying, if I'm hungry, if I need swaddling, which is preposterous, but if God needed anything, who would he ask? Would he ask you? No, he's saying the earth is mine and everything in it, it's all mine. God says, I need nothing. This is the the doctrine of divine aseity. He needs nothing. He's totally, utterly independent. Needs nothing from us. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you about it. I wouldn't cry to you. But he says, listen, in contrast, when you're in trouble, verse 15, call upon me and what will happen? Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And what will happen? And you shall glorify me. You shall glorify me. One author, I love how he he offers a parable in connection with this passage. So follow me here. Suppose you are a totally paralyzed man or woman and can do nothing for yourself but talk. And suppose a strong and reliable friend promised to live with you and to do whatever you needed. How could you glorify your friend if a stranger came to see you? Imagine that in your mind right now. Unable to do anything for yourself but to talk. Have a strong and capable friend willing to do whatever you need. And now a stranger has come to visit you. What would you say? What would you do? How would you demonstrate your gratitude for your friend who is caring for you? How would you glorify his generosity and strength? Would you do that by trying to get out of the bed yourself? Would you do that by trying to carry your friend? No, what would you do? You would say, friend, come and lift me up. And would you put a pillow behind my back so that I can look at my guest? And would you please put my glasses on for me? And so your visitor would learn from your request that you are helpless and that your friend is strong and kind. You glorify your friend by needing him and by asking him for help and counting on him. And so, three things that Jesus had in mind one, that God is good. When we think of that, it leads us to pray. An- another thing, two, that man is helpless. This was in no doubt Jesus' mind as he expected, anticipated our prayers. And third and finally, I think in Jesus' mind, he had that dependence is worship. Dependence upon God is worship. And this is wonderful news. If you think about that, how would you glorify your friend who has determined to take care of you other than depending on him and trusting him and needing him and letting other people see that? We don't glorify God by meeting his needs. When he has needs of us, oh, he's a needy God Oh, he's very needy. And so I'll meet his needs. That does not glorify God. In some sinful, silly way, that glorifies you. To think that Hagerstown Church needs you, to think that God needs you in some way, is foolish. What does God need? He needs nothing. What do we need? We need everything. How can we glorify God? By depending on him. And by demonstrating that for the world that we need God more than anything. When we abide in him and his words abide in us, as John 15 says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what's the truth here? We pray, we ask God to meet our needs. We ask God to do for us and for our church, for our families, what we can never do on our own. And that is how we bear fruit. And that dependence on the vine is how we glorify God. And so church, worship in 2021, worship through dependence. Trust God's goodness. Believe in it. Believe and see that you're helpless in and of yourself. And then, finally, worship God through dependence. Jesus understood these things. He expected his disciples to desire to glorify God. And how do we glorify God more than depending on him? By trusting him. My prayer as your pastor, one of your pastors this year, is that God would make you, each and every one of you, acutely aware of these truths. And that that would lead you, as Jesus assumed, to pray. As Jesus expected of you, that we would pray. And so church, do you doubt that God is good? Do you really doubt that God is good? Search your heart. Do you see your helplessness? Or have you operated with some sense of pride and arrogance this past year? Repent of that. See your need and trust God. Do you want to glorify God in your life? Do you, Hagerstown Church, do you want to glorify God in 2021? Well, how will you do that aside from utter dependence upon God? Despite your giftings, despite your blessings, depend on God. Do you believe he's invited your requests? Have you been seeing his commands as commands and not so much as invitations? He's invited your requests. And so Hagerstown Church, pray. He is waiting. Two things before we close. One, we're going to be brief to cover prayer. We're not going to be exhaustive. As we cover some truths about prayer, each day I want us to to take a look at and highlight some practical ways that we can apply what we've talked about Immediately, one of the ways that I see that you can do that is by utilizing this book right here. This is the Member Directory and Prayer Guide. Inside of it is a list and even a, a picture—a beautiful picture—of each of our members listed in here, and on page one is a guide on how you can be praying for them. I wanna read off for you some of the things that you should be praying about. When we know that God is good, and when we see that we as Christians are helpless apart from Christ, it should lead us to pray. And what should we pray for? This is a wonderful tool for you. How should you pray for your brother and sister in Hagerstown Church? One, that they would grow in their hunger for the word of the Lord. Perhaps you noticed in my prayer this morning, that is what I prayed for you. You say, Well, Pastor Josh prays a long prayer. Do you know how I pray often? I pray this document right here. I pray that God would do what He promised He would do in our church, that God would grow us in our hunger for His word. I can also pray that He would grow us in our holiness. And so when I think of how to pray for Jairus Crooks, I say, God, would you help Jairus Crooks to grow in holiness? God, would you help him to grow in his understanding and application of the gospel in his life? Would you help him to grow in his ability and passion to share that gospel where he is planted? God, would you grow him in his dedication and capability and personal discipleship in 2021? God, would you grow him in his pursuit of unity, love and reconciliation amid much diversity? this year. God, would you do those things? This is how we can be praying. Why? Why do we pray these things? Why does this tool even exist? Because we know that God is good and we know that we are helpless and we glorify God, Hagerstown Church, when we depend on him. If you don't have a copy of the members, uh, members directory and prayer guide, I want to encourage you, get your phone out right now. This is one of the only times I'm going to encourage you to do that in 2021. But get your phone out and send an email to info at hagerstownchurch.org. It's saying in the the title, just say member directory request. We'll email you a digital copy if you you want a digital copy. If you'd like to have a physical copy, we can get one of those to you as well. Just send that email to info at hagerstownchurch.org, requesting that directory. The last thing that I want to offer to you this morning as we close is the most pressing prayer that needs to be prayed this morning, it's one of repentance and faith. One of the most beautiful prayers that can ever be prayed is according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. A prayer of confession and repentance and turning from sin, knowing that when you ask God for forgiveness of your sins, you will be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. And so if you've never asked God for forgiveness of your sins, you've never prayed to him and asked for that to be done. And knowing that your greatest barrier is the sin that besets you, the sin that condemns you before God and will cause you to be separated from him for all eternity in a place called hell, would you not pray in the name of Jesus that you would be forgiven of your sins? The promise is made. If you'll pray to God and ask for that, then you will be cleansed of all unrighteousness in the name of Jesus. He's promised to forgive you. He's promised to give you peace. He's promised to give you rest, the type of rest that Jesus has. That invitation is there for you this morning. And so, church, pray for one another. Use the prayer directory. An unbeliever this morning, if you are here in your sins, turn to God and ask for forgiveness. He is listening. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these truths that we've looked at this morning. Jesus, we trust that your confidence in your praying church is based on the goodness of God, the helplessness of man, and the worshipful nature of dependence. Father, with those things in mind, desiring. I glorify you individually and as a church. I ask again, would you teach us to pray? When we gather this next Lord's Day, would we not be able to see that you've done just that? A little bit each day, that we be more and more would be a people conformed into the image of Christ and following his example, one of dependence on the Father. We ask that these things be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone, amen.